Hello ninjas and ninjas, and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen, best-selling digital marketing author and head ninja at Exposure Ninja. In this episode, I'm joined by Maurice Cherry, and we're talking about something completely different. We're talking about four businesses or four case studies of companies who've used a combination of unique branding and scarcity to position themselves completely away from their competitors. So whether this is using uh, this sort of scarcity to build a much larger company than anybody else in their market, or whether it's working on a specific niche, but making sure that you're selling a huge, huge number of products. We, you know, we're talking about businesses here that can crash their own website with traffic. We're talking about the sorts of companies that, that really drive huge, huge engagement. So Maurice takes us through um, some examples and we discuss how the brand, how they've used the branding and how they've used scarcity to generate significantly more sales than they would have done otherwise. Remember, if you want any help with your digital marketing, then we run a free service which helps you by giving you some recommendations about things that you might want to do on your website or with your branding or with your marketing to improve the leads and sales that you're getting. So what we'll do is we spend 20 minutes on a video just walking you through a few different things that you can do, some tweaks that you can make to your website or to your marketing to give you more visibility and increase the leads and sales that you're getting. Now, if you want this, it's completely free of charge. All you need to do is head over to the Exposure Ninja website. That's ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. Fill in a few details about your business. We'll put together a 20 minute video, send it over to you uh, with a plan that you can implement to generate more leads and sales through your website. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Maurice talking about scarcity and branding. Maurice, welcome to the show. Tim, thank you for having me back. It's great to be here. This week, we're changing track a little bit. and We're talking about how companies have used design and, and clear branding and scarcity to build rabid audience. So we're talking about the freaks, aren't we? We're talking about the niche players who sell significantly more than their competitors, or we're talking about the big brands who've got there because they've used these sorts of scarcity and clear branding principles. Yeah. And I hope, you know, for people that are listening, they can kind of extrapolate some things from this that they could use in their own businesses. For sure. I think looking through the examples you put together, there's definitely going to be a lot for people to take away here. So um, maybe you could start by uh, by talking us through our first example. It's uh, Woot. Woot is a internet retailer. They sell discounted products on a daily basis. They kind of have this countdown where they'll do one good at a certain price and then it's only that price for 24 hours. And then the next day, it's something different. Uh, they started with only doing one product a day. Now they've sort of branched out across several different verticals, and they offer dozens to hundreds now of items now for kind of discounted daily prices. So it's anything from home goods to electronics to kids' toys to wine to shirts. They really sort of span a pretty wide range of, of items that they offer now. So I'm on one of their pages now and I can see a Hitachi cordless drill. And it's a little bit like Amazon's Black Friday deals, isn't it? So it says it was $90, 62% off list price, now $34, but there's only 12% of their stock left. And there's a bar that shows you how much have gone and that they've only got this tiny number left. So immediately 
you know, you're thinking, wow, that looks like a great deal. There's a bit of believability there because there's scarcity because, you know, it's, it's so cheap that everyone's just buying them up. And they're really kind of tapping into that frenzy, aren't they? It's it's really interesting way of, of selling e-commerce. Yeah. And I mean, there are other types of e-commerce retailers that have done similar types of daily deals like Groupons, Living Social, et cetera, that do similar types of things. It may not necessarily be around home goods, but it may be around a service that's offered in your city or a discount at a restaurant or something like that. Uh, I think the way that Woot really kind of stands out with their particular branding, aside from, you know, those visual cues that you mentioned on their website, they have a really strong sort of brand personality that stands out outside of the things that they sell. So aside from what they sell, they keep a regular blog with guest commentators and things. And it has this kind of zany, irreverent style. Even when you look at the product descriptions for the things that they sell, it's not just your standard stock marketing description. They've added their own sort of personality to it. The, the Woot brand even has its own mascot, which is a, a flying monkey with an astronaut helmet and a cape. You know, so they use these kind of specific visual, you know, cues to stand out among what could be seen as a sort of mundane type of service offering daily deals off discounted products. Yeah, that's that's really true. And it really kind of translates throughout their copy, doesn't it? I can see there they've got a little message which says at the side of the page, discuss this deal. So it's obviously for people to comment on a on a deal. There's no there's no comments there. So rather than saying no one has replied to this thread yet or no one has posted a comment yet, which is kind of a negative thing. They've got this crazy picture of a robot thing with all these arms coming out and it says, no quality posts yet. What? Someone helped fix that by saying something cool. It's just they've they've turned that space, which could have been negative, into a reinforcement of their brand's personality, which seems really clever. Yeah, and another thing that Woot does is they also really acknowledge their customers a lot as well. Uh, For the particular thing that you're looking at, they may not have any comments, but there will often be other goods that they sell that will have lots of discussion in the forums. They actually have forum posts for every single product that they sell. You can go and you can see comments that people have made. You can see price comparisons. You can see kind of real world reviews on how good this is, how good of a deal it is. So that even further lets you know, like, hey, maybe I should jump on this. Maybe I shouldn't. And again, it's all kind of wrapped up in their sort of own unique brand personality, the way that they do it. I haven't really seen other kind of daily deal sites acknowledge their customers in that way in terms of giving them a place and a space to actually talk about the products. You would think with something like Woot, where they are doing, you know, dozens to hundreds of products a day, that would be too much. And maybe because of that, you will have some posts that don't have any comments, but then there are some that will, and you can really get a good sense of whether something that you want to purchase is going to be a good deal or if it's something you can pass on. Yeah, that's, it's interesting. It's kind of the, I'm just looking through one of their posts now that has some comments and this this drill doesn't come with a battery. So people are complaining that it doesn't come with a battery, which is kind of interesting because a lot of people would, if that was your business, if this was your website, you'd be like, oh, I don't want people to see these comments because people are slagging off the deal. But it's kind of the Amazon approach, isn't it? Where they're completely okay with people to give a one-star review because they know that overall that increases the experience for the rest of the visitors. So they're not too scared about the truth coming out. That adds value to, to the visitors, doesn't it? So I guess um, 
they're, they're happy for this discussion to go on, whether it's positive or negative, which is such a such a refreshing approach. I've never seen a forum for each product, for example. That's such a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, aside from the daily deal model that Woot does to kind of use scarcity to build their brand, they often have these one-off marathon events called Woot-offs. Actually, the day that we're recording this now, they're having a Woot-off. So if you go to the main page of Woot, you'll see by whatever the good is that they're selling a little siren, like a rotating orange Mm -hmm. siren. That usually signals to people that it's a woot off. And what that is, is they will do a marathon of deals for 24 hours, one product after the other. So as soon as one product sells out, they'll post another. Now, they won't let you know the quantity or how many that they have, but you will see this kind of ticking percentage bar to let you know there's this many percentage left if you want to go ahead and jump in on it. And then once that deal has passed, it's gone. It's not coming back. They're going to go on to the next thing. The good thing about the way that they do the Woodoffs is that they usually are unannounced. So when it happens, it usually is a pretty big surprise, unless you're following, I think, on social media. Like if you're following them on Twitter, they happen to tweet out when they're doing a Woodoff because you'll just see post after post after post in your timeline. But generally, they don't announce the Woodoffs, and the Woodoffs only last for 24 hours. So you can jump onto that one day and hopefully pick up something good, or you may miss it and the deal that you wanted is gone. Maybe it'll come back at some point in the future, but you don't know because Woot doesn't tell you when these things will happen. It just it just occurs. There's a lot about Woot, which is quite brave. It's quite a brave brand. They're not taking themselves too seriously. They use copy on their site, which if you're if you're a little bit scared of risk, it might feel like kind of pushing the boat out too much. It's so you hear bestsellers, the deals that you, the public, are telling us you hate the least. Right. I'm not sure I'd approve of that copy if this is my website. So they're being pretty brave, aren't they? How important do you think it is that business owners and and brands push themselves to to try just beyond maybe what they'd usually be comfortable with with their branding? Well, I mean, I think it's really important, especially for smaller businesses, because I think taking that risk, whether it pays off or it doesn't pay off, you can easily kind of rebound to something else in case it doesn't work or If it does work, you can continue on that path. If it doesn't, you can say, okay, this was a bad idea. Let's try something else. You can sort of course correct really easily. With something like Woot, I mean, they've built this brand up now for over 10 years. So for them, people that are coming to Woot, they know that this is just what they offer. This is just who they are. This is what they do. And you can, you know, honestly take part in any of the deals without really being a fan of of the copy or not. I mean, if it's a good deal, it's a good deal, right? But if you are a fan of the copy and you like kind of their sort of irreverent brand style and personality, it's just going to make you want to go there first as opposed to going to another retailer to see if they have a deal that you're looking for. So the next example that you're going to take us to is an example of another retailer. In fact, the other retailer that every other e-commerce <laughs> site is competing in. So um, talk, us through, uh, talk us through Amazon. Yeah. So Amazon, uh, which I should mention also is the company which owns Woot. Woot started off as an independent company and then Amazon bought them a few years ago. But Woot still kind of maintains their ownership over their brand in terms of the style and tone and voice. So it's interesting, like we mentioned Amazon, Amazon and Woot are kind of the same company in a way, 
but Woot is a much, they're taking much more risks than someone like Amazon would do. So Amazon, as we know, is the world's largest internet retailer. They sell everything you can imagine. Uh, of course, they started off with books, as most people know. Um, and then they branched out into doing media like MP3s and CDs and audiobooks. And then they went into selling all kinds of other goods to now producing their own consumer electronics and goods. I mean, of course, we all know about the Kindle. There's the Echo, the Echo Dot, the Fire TV. Amazon has really grown so much, I think, within the past 15 years. I'm pr it's probably longer than that, but I feel like in the past 15 years, they've really grown to become one of the most ubiquitous brands, I think, in the world. Um, and across a number of different sectors, of course, we know them through retail, but Amazon is also uh, a really big provider of cloud storage space. And so for people that are developers or that are, you know, software developers in that space, they know all about Amazon EC2 and Amazon S3, and they know about Amazon that way as being a place where they can get really, you know, get copious amounts of storage for a fairly low price. Yeah, and Amazon's kind of interesting as a as a brand, isn't it? Because there's parts of Amazon which are, are really kind of safe. And it's almost like, it, whereas Woot's trying to add value through its copy and stuff, Amazon seems to be trying to get out the way. Does, does that seem fair? I, I don't know if I would say Amazon's try, trying to get out the way. I mean, their branding is, and their whole style is really simple. Their main way of trying to convert people, at least through their retail aspect, is through personalization. Mm. So, of course, when you buy something, they'll also recommend a bunch of other things that you could buy. Or they'll say, hey, this person bought this. If you buy these other two things with it, it's this price. So they're really trying to make sure that they're ultra convenient in that way by offering a lot of these low prices across a wide selection of merchandise. There's something that I, I read about, I want to say it was in Fortune magazine. The strategy is called radial adjacency. And so what that is, is that they try to seize opportunities in other markets that are adjacent to what they do. So, for example, with Amazon, they started off selling books. So with books, of course, they're going to go into ebooks because that's what kind of the general progression is. If they're selling ebooks, why not sell you a device so you can read more ebooks from Amazon? Or if Amazon is even selling you the concept of convenience of being everywhere that you want it to be, why not buy your own personal digital assistant that can sit in your home and you can order things from it just by talking to it? You know, I feel like, you know, they haven't been overly pushy in this way. It's it, to me has felt like a very gradual, organic type of growth. I mean, just recently we heard about Amazon purchasing Whole Foods. And with that, that is even going further into being these ultra convenient spaces. Because people may think, oh, well, I think we probably have all seen the jokes on Twitter about, you know, Bezos <laughs> mistakenly ordering Whole Foods, you know, by talking <laughs> to an Amazon Echo yeah. and thinking, well, why would, why would Amazon get into shopping? Well, Amazon, of course, does Amazon Prime, which is their two-day shipping. From there, they've branched out to do Amazon Prime now, which is now offering same-day shipping in a bunch of different metropolitan markets. From there, they did Amazon Fresh, where you can order groceries. They have a Amazon Restaurants, where you can order from restaurants. So the next natural progression there, of course, would be supermarkets. And Whole Foods is a brand that is, is very specific in terms of where they build them and the market that they're trying to reach. 
So Amazon didn't just buy up a bunch of supermarkets. They bought a bunch of locally targeted distribution centers in, you know, fairly well-to-do neighborhoods that they can push more product through. But this has not been in a, like I said, like in an overly pushy sort of way. It's just in a very gradual progression from what their normal offerings are. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. It's kind of like they're looking at, okay, so what does our audience need next? They're not really... I mean, I'm sure they are looking, uh, there's got to be someone in Amazon who's treating it really aggressively. Like how can we crush these other ebook manufacturers or whatever? But <laughs> that's not how, that's not where they start from, is it? They're, I'm sure they don't look at the ebook market and think, all right, we can just crush everyone and take that whole thing. They're probably thinking, okay, so what can we do to make it even easier for people to read our books? Well, we could sell them an ebook, at, ebook reader at basically cost or whatever. And, and we've seen that the service that they give to their Kindle buyers seems almost excessively good, right? I remember I, I knew someone who, in, in, you know, broke his Kindle and sent to Amazon. They sent him a brand new one the next day. And it's like, it doesn't, doesn't really make any sense. That it's not a, that's not a financial decision that they've made making money on that Kindle. They're obviously just facilitating purchase of Amazon products. So I guess they've got a, they've got a few different reasons for moving into these areas. What I meant by Amazon's kind of moving out of the way is it's not really trying to make its brand about Amazon, is it? It's not like you have a relationship with Amazon. You kind of just have a relationship with convenience, I suppose. And that's exactly what you're saying about personalization. You don't even have to look for what you want now. They're just going to show you what you want based on your other choices. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even if it's things that you know that you purchase on a regular basis, Amazon also sells these little buttons called Amazon Dash, which is just a small little, I don't know, it's maybe about the size of a a thumb drive. And it's a button that you can just push when you need to reorder anything that you get regularly on Amazon. So say, for example, if you really like gummy bears, there's a button that you can buy. It's like $5. And anytime you need to get more of these specific kind of gummy bears that you get, you press the button, it makes the order. It just gets out of the way. One of the, the things which seems to unite Amazon's acquisition, whether it's like Zappos or Whole Foods or Woot, would you say it's fair that they seem to be buying companies which have a strong brand, even though that brand is nowhere near Amazon's own brand? I think so. You know, again, it's kind of playing into that whole aspect of a radio adjacency. So uh, like the, like you're saying, these specific things that they buy, of course, they want to make sure that they fall within, you know, markets that are adjacent to what they offer. But they also have their own strong brands that they can easily tap into. So for ebooks, they bought uh, they bought Audible, and so they can easily reach audiobook owners and people who listen to audiobooks. For Whole Foods, they're able to reach, you know, companies. I'm sorry, they're able to reach people that live in those neighborhoods that frequent Whole Foods. It's just much easier to kind of reach them in that kind of natural, organic sort of way. And because these are already established brands, Amazon doesn't have to do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of getting their own name out. Of course, everyone already knows about Amazon, but then you put this one well-known brand with this other really well-known brand, it just it just tends to make sense. How does Amazon use scarcity? Obviously, Woot's using scarcity very, very clearly with their countdown thing. How does how does Amazon use scarcity? Well, they Amazon does a similar type of countdown thing with their gold box deals and their lightning deals. So sometimes they will offer daily deals, sometimes even hourly deals. 
on a lot of different items. Now, they don't really publicize them too much, I think because the prices are already fairly low when it comes to these, you know, daily or hourly discounts. They try not to push those as hard as they do just the convenience of being able to buy things at a low price. However, I feel like Amazon has found a way to capitalize on that by creating their own sales holiday, which is the day we're recording, 7-Eleven. It's Prime Day. So on top of their already low prices, they're giving you this sort of built-in scarcity by saying on this one day only, you can now get a bunch of other goods for even cheaper than we normally sell them. And I mean, I've seen TV commercials, I've heard podcast commercials, I've seen web advertisements. So they're definitely pushing Prime Day and saying, hey, here's this one day that you can get all these deals. And then so many other brands and you know media outlets are kind of jumping onto that as well to say, hey, these are the best deals that we found on Prime Day. So they know it's only for one day, but that's the scarcity in action right there is knowing you're only going to get this great deal on this product during this specific time frame. And I guess that you have to be a Prime member to do that. So they're also driving Prime memberships, which... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, have to be, you have to be a Prime member to, uh, to be a part of that. So for that, I think it's $99 a year now you're now able to participate in Prime Day. So it's something that being able to, pr- to participate in this particular sales holiday, you've got to upsell into another Amazon product to do that. So it's it's kind of ingenious the way that they've done this. I mean, the, the way that they really structured Prime Day in this way. And I should mention, I don't think it's ever on the same day every year. I want to say when it first came out, it was in... I feel like it was in August or something or September, but like now it's in July. So I don't know if they're trying to move it around. Split testing. There's split testing. <laughs> like like what's the best date, you know, looking at, at when people are spending the most money? Because I mean, I'm pretty sure, you know, you look under the hood of Amazon. They are making, I mean, probably hundreds to thousands of different split testing, micro testing experiments across the checkout process, across the product pages every single day to try to optimize things to say what's the best way to get people from you know point a to point b what's the best way to close the deal to make the sale clearly it works i think you know if you said 10 years ago that there would be this shop that you paid a membership in order to shop at you'd be like nah shut up but the fact (laughs) that i wouldn't even you know to live without amazon prime would just frankly feel like living in a you know, prehistoric society where you had to wait for stuff to arrive. It just, you know, it just it's just not not even an option. So I think it's a it's a brilliant angle, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. brilliant. And and ties really nicely into uh, into Amazon's brand, which is all about convenience. Talk us through Hobonichi Techo. Am I saying that right? Techo. Techo. Yeah. Hobonichi Techo. Yeah. So the Hobonichi Techo is a It's a popular uh, Japanese notebook slash daily planner. It's made by this guy in Japan uh, who's kind of an icon in Japan. His name is uh, Shigesato Itoi, and he has a company called Hobo Nikan Itoi Shinbun. The Hobo Nichi Techo, this popular notebook, aside from them selling this, they sell it in a number of different sizes. So you have the regular Hobo Nichi Techo. They have a larger version called the Hobo Nichi Cousin. They have a biannual version called the Hobonichi Avec. And then they have a weekly version called the Hobonichi Weeks. 
So they're all within kind of like this Hobo Nietzsche Techo line. And the unique thing about the planner itself is the type of paper that it uses. So it uses this special grade of paper called Tomoe River paper, which is really good for writing with fountain pens and a number of different pens. It's extremely thin. So because of that, they're able to pack a lot of pages into a very small, compact form. So say, for example, if you bought a regular 365-day planner, you know, that might be two inches thick. Whereas the Hobonichi Techo, using this special paper, may be one inch thick. So they've managed to make it into a very small, compact form that you can easily take with you. Aside from the notebook, they sell a number of related stationary accessories. So you can get pens and markers and highlights and things. The kind of, uh, for people I think that are big fans of stationary, they're really fond of the Hobonichi Techo because it's kind of a blank slate. It has this kind of nice, fine, you know, art quality grade paper, and they sell all these neat accessories that go right along with the notebook itself. And people get really, really excited about these, don't they? This is this is not just a notebook. This isn't just a planner. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, they have really done well in fostering a creative community around what is really a very mundane thing. I mean, you'd think you could just go to any bookstore and just pick up a planner, but the people that are into Hobonichi Techo are kind of a special, quirky, creative kind, because this is something which is a very mundane thing. Then they really let the design of the book kind of speak for itself. And the way that they do their branding, I think, is really interesting because they just show the book. Uh, if you take a look at the pictures on their on their website, they just show the book being used in everyday life. Like you'll see some blank product shots, of course. But they also show how easily and seamlessly it can integrate into your life while also kind of encouraging your creativity. So there's a whole community of Hobonichi users that use the notebook, not just as a planner, but they kind of use it, you know, almost like a scrapbook. So they've got pages that are extremely well done with artwork and stickers and colors and highlights. I mean, it's some really creative stuff and you can look at it and think, wow, maybe I could do something similar. I mean, I don't have time to do all that stuff, but it is really nice to look at, to see these really creatively collaged and drawn and, and you know, kind of constructed pages in this way. Uh, so the, the creative community around the Hobonichi Techo is really strong. It's an international community, even though it's a Japanese brand. Yes, yeah, it's, it's super interesting. When I'm on their website, for me, if I was to buy one and I'm tempted, I'd be buying the hope that I could be that creative. And they're selling a lifestyle, aren't they? They, they really are selling a lifestyle. There's, there's a planner in all of these photos, but they're not selling the planner. The planner is just your gateway to a world of creativity and, and happiness, really, which, is, which sounds kind of ridiculous on the surface. And like many of these things, if you look from the outside with very kind of cold, unemotional um, approach, you kind of think, wow, that really seems quite strange. But when you're on the inside and when you're actually involved in this and, and you have that passion for the brand, it's completely consuming. And I can see how people get really, really into this. They, they've got the books, they've got the covers, they've got different styles of books, they've got, you know, they've got the cousin, they've got the weeks, they've got the original. So they've got different flavors as well. It's, it's just, just genius. What about their branding, do you think, makes them stand out and helps to contribute to this? to the rabid fan base that they have? Well, I think it's, it sort of plays into what you said. It's like you're buying into this, this lifestyle. 
it's not just a planner. It's a way for you to document your life. I mean, you can use it to document, you know, when you have to take the kids to soccer practice or when you're going out on a date or something, you can do that. Or you can really kind of put creativity into it. And like you said, hopefully using this book will let you emulate the kind of um, aspirational images that the brand puts out that you want to be a part of. One thing that is interesting about each of the Hobonichi models is that on every page, there's a, a quote. Usually it's quotes from the creator, from Shigesato Itoi, but there's different quotes on every page. So it also kind of gives you something to think about and to ponder. Like the way that they market the book through their imagery, through their words, is that, you know, using the techo is supposed to be an experience that you take time for. It can be something where you just jot down a few notes or something, but the goal that they want you to have is to kind of slow down, take time, and really document these things that are going on in your life. For example, on the homepage, there's this little poem called This Is My Life. And it's just, it's really simple. It says, there was a day that was so much fun. There was a day something good happened. There was a sad day, though it wasn't about me. Ah, and a sad day that was about me. That day, this day, that time, this time. Whatever the kind of day, it was a good day to be alive. This is my life. This is my book. And you're like, it's just a, it's just a planner. It's not that serious. But, <laughs> yeah. the, but the way that they have, have really designed this experience is that they want you to really sit with the book and document your life, whether it's in long form by using the techo or the cousin, maybe it's in just simple snippets like you would do with the weeks. You really kind of choose which one works best with your lifestyle and you use it any way that you like. That is, I think, the, the goal of it. Yes, you can use it like a planner, but like I said, some people use it as a scrapbook. Some people use it as an art book. You can use it any way that you like. I think most people would be a little bit reluctant, perhaps, to use a poem on their homepage to sell their products. But I guess what it shows with these guys is that they so clearly understand who they're trying to sell these planners to and who their target audience is, that they know that a poem for the creatives who are their target audience is exactly the best way to communicate the benefits that they're selling, right? This is a sign that they know their audience so deeply and clearly their audience responds to this. Right. And I mean, you can buy the Hobonichi Techo at other retailers like Amazon. You know, we talked about Amazon. They sell it. Uh, there's an online stationery store called JetPens. They also sell it. But I feel like getting it from the Hobodichi website gives you the overall experience that you're looking for. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about scarcity. This also plays into how they managed to build such a rabid fan base around what is a simple and mundane book. That's, that's such a good point, how... They have such a strong band that where you buy the thing makes a difference, right? Because whenever I buy an Apple thing, I'm always like, oh yeah, I want to buy it from Apple because, you know, the app is really nice and it feels like it feels good. And if you can get to a stage where people want to buy from your shop, even, you know, just because they like the experience and they feel that it's more authentic and they have such a connection with the brand that they actually want to buy the thing, you know, you could probably get this quicker from Amazon, but people buying it from Hobonichi Techo themselves because they want to be even more part of that. That's like, that's next level, isn't it? 
Yeah, like you could get it from Amazon and get it in two days, a generic, you know, Amazon brown box, or you could order it <laughs> from Hobonichi Techo. It might take you a few weeks, but when it comes, uh, it comes in like this bright yellow bag. So I've I've been ordering them for a few years myself. It comes in like this bright yellow bag from the shop. And then when you open it up, uh, everything that you ordered is inside of a box. You open the box up and it's got all your goods in there, but then it also has like a little thank you note. It's got a, a certificate of authenticity. <laughs> you know, it has all these little extras that you wouldn't get if you bought it somewhere else. You're just buying the book. If you buy it from the Hobonichi website, it's like you're buying the experience. That's killer. Certificate of authenticity for a notebook. I absolutely love it. <laughs> that is brilliant. Awesome. How do they use scarcity to make their rabid fan base even more rabid? That's a good question. And again, this sort of plays into also their website experience. So you can buy the Hobonichi Techo year round because it's a planner. Not only do they sell it, you know, just, you know, on a regular basis, They've also got the the biannual version where you buy one from January to June, then you buy another one from July through December. They have specially designed covers for each year. So the book itself is very plain and mundane. I mean, the Techo is just a plain kind of black paper cover, something like that. Like it's not really that exciting on its own. What draws people to it is the scarcity of the covers. So for each of the different Hobonichi Techo models, they have different covers that come out each year. And the cover is just a simple, you know, sometimes a fabric or a neoprene or a plastic uh, sleeve, essentially, for the actual book. These covers are limited edition. They're only available for the year that they're released and they quickly sell out and they only sell them well, they open up the sales at a specific day. I mean, they count down to it. They tease it out through social media. So you get a sense of these are the covers that you really want to get. Now, keep in mind, the covers are not all the same price. Um, some covers are fairly cheap. Some covers are anywhere from two to $300. And the book itself, the planner is maybe anywhere from 20 to 40 bucks. But the cover for it may be, you know, five, six times more than that, Right. So you'll have some that are these really artisan leather covers. You have really nice kind of quirky, colorful design colors. They'll have some understated materials that might be used. And again, these are used throughout each of the different uh, Hobonichi models. Once it's sold out, it's sold out. That's it. And they don't offer last year's models for sale for the next year. So whatever you buy for that one year, if you don't get it during that specific amount of time when they open sales you're out of luck. You may have to try to find it on eBay. And even then, it's going to be even more expensive than if you bought it from the store because it's a collector's item. So what they've done is they've made these covers collector's items by releasing them all on sale at one day. And then once they're sold out, that's it. So you can get a regular, you know, kind of blue or black cover. But the way, again, that they do this with this really sort of aspirational imagery is even for each of the covers, they've like created these little photo shoots around the cover so you can see how well the covers fit into these different scenarios. And it's like, yeah, I want to be that person at a, a nice cafe in the rain with this cover on my book. You know what I mean? Like it, it plays into that kind of, you know, really fun, aspirational type of uh, a feeling that you get. And it's just a cover. It's not anything, you know, particularly special, but 
Some people really like these covers. These are really, again, limited editions. Some of them you can only get on the website. So it's it's really kind of this fun thing that they've built into their already rabid fan base by offering these things for sale just one time of the year. And I mean, when it happens, the website crashes. Last year when I tried to buy a specific model of the Hobonichi Weeks, it took me six hours to buy wow. it. <laughs> but, you know, in, in, in internet purchasing time, that is an eternity. You know, you give <laughs> up. I mean, the, it kept timing out. I kept going back. There were people complaining online, like, it's taking me an hour to get through with my order. And like, I had to wait and come back in the middle of the night, which was the next day in Japan, in order to purchase it and ended up getting it. But it still took me a while to do it. I couldn't just log onto the website very easily, purchase it, and that's it. And so because, you know, the quantity of these covers don't change, when it's sold out, it's sold out. That's it. It's amazing. And, you know, if, on, on the one hand, if you said, oh, there's this e-commerce site and it goes down and it, t- it takes you six hours to purchase something from it, you'd be like, oh, that's, that's screwed. There's no way that's going to take off. If Amazon went down for six hours, they would lose billions. Of dollars. <laughs> it would, it, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's incredible. I love also that they're selling covers at different price points. So although the core book is pretty much always in the, as you say, 20 to $40 range, if you want to spend significantly more than you can, and they're, they're going to soak up all of that extra profit, which might be floating around. So yeah, just a, just a brilliant, brilliant model. Yeah. And they, they partner with other designers and things like that to create these limited edition covers. And the thing is that the covers can actually be reused for books for multiple years, but that specific cover is only available the year that it comes out. So for example, I've got a blue neoprene cover for the show, which is waterproof. It's got a pocket on the front that's big enough for my phone. I love it. I bought that in 2015. They don't sell that anymore. You might be able to find it on eBay. You might be able to find it on Etsy or something, but it's sold out. Like it's gone. There, there's no way unless they re-release it for another year, it's gone. And so they really try to pride themselves on only offering specific designs every year. Like they'll have the simple ones every year, like red, blue, black or something. But the really specially designed ones, they don't, they only offer those for that one year. And then once it's gone, it's gone forever. Fascinating. Fascinating. And uh, I'm just interested when you got your, when you got the the cover and your tech show, how good did it feel opening that package? Were, were you, firstly, did you anticipate, were you really looking forward to it arriving? And then when it did, like, how good was it? What, how was your experience with it? Oh, it was it was totally a great experience because, you know, you order something from Amazon or from, you know, any other big retailer. It's going to come in like a, a brown box. It's not very exciting once you get it. I'm telling you, once you get the Hobonichi Techo stuff, it is a, a colorful experience from the moment you get the package. So it comes in this uh, yellow kind of plastic vinyl sort of bag. You open the bag up, and for the model that I got last year, it came in a pink box. Uh, you take it out the box, and you it's got like some tissue paper you unwrap, and then it's got your, your goods that you've ordered. So when you order, you really want to try to order as much as you can in one sitting because you don't know when it's going to sell out. So I ordered a techo, a cover, uh, some highlighters or some pens and things. And the other thing is those accessories they sell are specifically for the techo. So they sell the things that they know are going to work well for the type of paper that's in the book. 
So you have these special pins and things like that. And it's really an experience. It comes with a little bookmark. It comes, that's the other thing. Each book that you buy comes with its own pin. And even the pin is limited edition. So you can only get that pin for that year. It's a very standard pen. It's a it's a uni uh, Jetstream three. Like you could probably get it somewhere at like an art store for like two or three bucks. It's a a fairly mundane pen, but it comes in these special colors that only Hobonichi has. And then on the the pen clip, it's got Hobonichi Techo 2016 or 2017. So it's just for that year. So it's a special pen just for that. So it, they really make it a whole unique experience from purchasing all the way to receiving the item itself. Like I still keep the box because I just keep all my stuff that I use my Techo for in the box. So it kind of becomes a storage thing as well. Love it. Absolute genius. Absolute genius. Amazing. Our final example, Vanta Black. Talk us through this. Yeah. So Vanta Black is is very controversial, uh, particularly in the kind of the art and design world. So I have to read the Wikipedia definition for it. So Vanta Black is a substance of vertically aligned carbon nanotube arrays. Actually, Vanta is a, an acrostic for vertically aligned nanotube ar- arrays, V-A-N-T-A. It's known as the blackest artificial substance to exist. And so it's, it's blacker. It's, I want to say it's blacker than black, but for those that work in design, you know, we know that even true black is not actually black. It's black with other colors that are added in, but there's never going to be a true consistent black because depending on the material that it's printed on, it's going to reflect, you know, or it's going to absorb some sort of light. So it's never fully black. It's just black in contrast to all the colors that are around it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, I'm just thinking super, super, super black. It sounds like it's going to be really matte. There's not going to be any shine on it, right? It's just right. Emptiness. No matte, no shine. Like there's even YouTube videos that show, you know, someone shining a flashlight on regular black and you still see kind of the white light and then they shine the light on Vanta black and there's nothing. So it absorbs 99.965% of all light. It's the blackest black ever. Okay, sounds fascinating. Is this, what are the business applications? Like, what is the purpose of this black? Or is it just, it's just a very scarce material? That's the thing. I don't know. (laughs) I'm really trying to think what business applications there could be for it. I would imagine maybe in aerospace applications, it could be used like on a space shuttle or something. I could see where you would use or where you would need that sort of black, particularly when you're thinking about things that are re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. Um, I could see where that would be very beneficial. The way that the the um, the Vanta black is administered is through an aerosol spray, I guess because of just its you know chemical composition. It's only administered through an aerosol spray, and so. There's not that many useful, I think, applications for it. I've certainly seen it used a lot in art, mainly just to demonstrate how black it is. I've seen uh, like a, I think it was like a bust of a person that was sprayed in Vanta black. And it shows you just how deep and dark it is when you see it in person. It's, it's kind of something you also have to experience for yourself to see just how rich and dark it is. I can't really think of any other useful applications where you would 
need that. Like you certainly wouldn't use it for roads because cars have headlights. You would need to be able to see if the light's going to be reflecting in front of you if you're driving on a dark night, you know? I don't know if there would be any <laughs> like real <laughs> practical applications for it aside from, you know, industrial aerospace types of, of things like that. I mean, I definitely, definitely want my car to be Vanta Black. I don't know if that's a good <laughs> idea or a bad idea, but I know that. <laughs> and I think I know quite a lot of people who'd like to be the blackest black possible, but right. I know what you mean. So obviously a color like this can't really have branding necessarily, or can it? I think the branding exists largely because Vanta Black exists. So because it is such a rare thing, the branding is because of its rarity. It's the blackest black ever. It absorbs most light. And it's just something that once you hear about it and once you see it, it's automatically going to stick into your mind because of how rare and how scarce it is. So there's not really that much branding around it. Just the fact that it is a thing is branding enough, which is rare for a lot of things. But, you know, there's no there's no whitest white. There's no bluest blue, you know. There's no Vanta blue, at least, you know, not yet. As of, as of this recording, there might be. But yeah, there's no other substance that's like it. And so because of that, it really exists in its own, its, its own kind of universe in a way. Yes, yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. So obviously the, the scarcity is, is exactly that, right? It's the fact that you can't get it anywhere. But I'd imagine that people would be all over this and being wanting to try it out in all sorts of applications, right? Uh, not necessarily. So the, <laughs> the interesting thing about Vanta Black is that it is currently uh, exclusively licensed to only one person, which, of course, now also even further limits the use. And of course, it increases the scarcity of the product. It's licensed by a guy named Anish Kapoor. And it's kind of been something which has caused a lot of outrage among the art community, which is how it's largely been used, you know, in demonstrations and installations and things like that. Because this person has licensed this color, now it's sort of taken it out of the realm of anyone else being able to use it. And a lot of people don't think that's very fair because how can you own a color? You know, there's actually a really great video uh, for, for your listeners. If you go to, to YouTube, uh, to the PBS Idea channel page, they have a video called Can You Own a Color, which kind of discusses the the legalities and things around Vanta Black in more depth and the, the concept of owning a color. And it's something which a lot of brands have actually been doing for, you know, a good period of time. You know, UPS owns the shade of brown and gold that they use. T-Mobile owns the shade of magenta that they use. And so because they are using it in these specific applications, they're able to claim you know, trademark and jurisdiction over them, which I guess is sort of the same thing that Vanta Black is doing. But because of how scarce it is, it's just causing some some problems with people wanting to use it. There certainly have been competitors. Now, there's sort of, I guess, Vanta Black uh, competitors where they also have the blackest black that you can purchase and use in other applications. But um, I'm trying to remember what the what the name of it was. I think it was like Vanta Black 2.0 or something mm. like that. But when you purchase it, you have to prove that you are not Anish Kapoor, that you are not an employee <laughs> of Anish Kapoor, and that you're not going to sell this to Anish Kapoor, 
which is really weird. Like when you buy something, you think you're just buying it for your own dominion. It's not something that you have to prove that you will or won't resell. But this is one of the conditions upon buying one of the competitors of this particular color, or at least the application of this color, which is something I've never seen before. I've never seen that before, where you had to go through that many kind of hoops, you had to jump through that many hoops in order to purchase something so simple like paint. Yeah, it's complete. It's its own type of scarcity, right? You've got to apply to to qualify to buy. It's, it's genius. Maurice, this has been absolutely fascinating in looking at these, these four kind of outlier freak show examples of businesses that have used clever scarcity and branding. Where can people find out a bit more about you and lunch if they want to explore this sort of branding further? Sure. So my personal website is mauricecherry.com. It's just my first name and my last name.com. Uh, at lunch, we are at yepitslunch.com. Y-E-P-I-T-S-L-U-N-C-H. Uh, we do branding, we do design, we do consulting, we do strategy, we do podcasting as well. Um, and you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Yep, It's Lunch. It's just the same name. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Maurice. It's been absolutely fascinating. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. 